Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. It's so good. I, I see several families back for the first time since we were gone for the second time, and now we're back again, and, and I'm just glad to see you. Uh, I love you guys. Gosh, I just miss, I miss the heck out of you. And so, um, welcome, welcome. Uh, today, I'm wrapping up the series, and by the way, next week is our 10-year anniversary as a church. 10, 10 years. So I want to invite you to show up early because we're going to have some tables outside and uh, not, not chairs to sit down because we don't want you to stay in there too long. But um, we're going to have donut holes, uh, 10 per bag to represent 10 unhealthy years. Donut holes? I don't know. Healthy years. I don't know. We'll put a piece of celery in there too. Oh, sweet years. I like that. Okay. Should have pre-planned this intro. Anyway, so we're going to have, you know, a bag of 10 donut holes. And uh, I don't know. It depends on how many people show up, right? We might need to pray that Jesus multiplies like the the bread and the fish. Um, But we're going to have, I almost said corn. I don't even know where that came from. We will not have corn. Next week, we're going to have coffee, coffee, we're going to have coffee. Anyway, I hope that you come. Today, I wrap up the series, Fear of Missing Out, and my topic is purpose, fear of missing out on purpose. Now, listen, you can Google, you can Google sermons on purpose and get really good material, really good. Trust me, I did. I did, and there are a lot of good things. Stephen Furtick, I mean, he is the purpose machine, right? He preach, he can shuck the corn. That's where I was going with corn. Stephen Furtick, you can Google uh, sermons on purpose, and Stephen Furtick is great. Christine Kane is really good as well. Today, I want to take a bit of a different approach, if that's okay with you. I know that 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 purpose feels like a theme that I should shuck the corn on. But I want to do some deep teaching today, okay? I want to take it slow. I want to walk you through the seven feasts of Israel and how that applies to our purpose today. Is that okay? Father, I come before you today. I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in this room and for the people that's watching online today. God, I ask that you would just continue to be with your children. God, I just thank you so much that you've seen us this far and you will be faithful to see us tomorrow. God, let this word come alive to us today. God, there's so much rich information that you have in my lap for me to deposit today. So God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. Now we do have kids in the auditorium and I want you to be comfortable. If your kids make a little bit of noise, that's okay. We understand we don't have children's ministry. I also understand that you don't want to distract other people. So if your kids get more rowdy than, you know, is appropriate, feel free to sit them with you somewhere else, you know, away from people. We also have a monitor in the hallway. If they just, you know, if they're screaming, I know we've got a lot of little kids in here and they need some cool down time. It's okay if you step out and catch my sermon. I will not be offended one bit. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to take you to a chapter in the Old Testament that is is probably, um, if there was one chapter in the entire Old Testament, 
the, the faithful Jew. Now, I'm not a Jew. You, you might be a Jew. I don't know, of, I don't know if, if you're a Jew. I don't know of anyone in here that's a Jew. I don't know of anyone watching. But if you were a faithful Jew, you would want to remember one chapter in particular. It's incredibly important, and it's Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus 23, God provides instructions for all seven feasts that the Jews are going to to observe throughout the year, every single year. Since the moment that Leviticus 23 was given to Moses, every single year the Jews have fulfilled these feasts. To this day, uh, the Jews follow the, the feast to the best of their ability. Now, I say to the best of their ability because if you read Leviticus 23, then you see that all the feasts require sacrifice. It requires a lamb or, or cattle, different sacrifices for the feast. And you probably know this, but Israel right now does not have a built temple to offer sacrifices. Therefore, every year that they've been honoring these feasts, they've not been able to fulfill the sacrificial part of the feast. Are you you following me? But they would do everything else that it said, everything that they had to eat or if they had to fast or when to pray or when it started or when to work and not to work. They follow everything to the letter of the law. Now you and I don't have to observe the feast because we're not Jews. And there's a couple of reasons I need you to understand. We don't observe the feast because number one, Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. We don't need to go find a perfect lamb that's without blemish. We don't need to find a red heifer to burn and get its ashes. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice of all time. Secondly, we don't have to fulfill the feast at the temple because we are the temple of God. Okay? However, that does not mean that feasts aren't aren't important. It doesn't mean that they're insignificant to us. It it actually, I want to, I hope that I proved to you today that they are bursting with purpose, with insight and revelation. The feast that we're going to talk about today shows the interaction between God and humanity. It's, it's critical that we get this. Leviticus 23 is rich. If you've ever tried to read Leviticus 23 before, you've probably asked yourself, why did God put this book in the Bible? If for no other reason, this chapter is the reason. It is filled with good stuff that we're going to talk about today. I'm only going to touch on the feast, but Leviticus also talks about the harvest times, which speak a lot to you and I. The first fruits, the main harvest, the gleanings. We see this in every harvest that happens. There are three harvests in a year, three harvest times in a year, and three harvests from each one. So there are nine times every year that the Lord harvests stuff to himself. I'm not going to talk about that today, but this is why Leviticus is so important. Leviticus 23, let's go there. Hopefully you have your Bible and are able to take notes. If not, grab paper and pen because I'm going to give a lot of information. I'm going to try to limit my talking to just what's absolutely necessary so I can hit all of this information in the amount of time that I have, even though I have 59 minutes to preach. That is double what I've ever had in my entire life. So we're good. I'm going to slow down. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 2. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, 
the feast, underline that word feast, of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, underline that word convocations, these are my feast. So the Lord is telling Moses, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. So God says, hey, these are not your feast. This is not your birthday party. This is not your housewarming idea. This is my feast, right? Let's look at the word feast and convocations in the Hebrew. Pastor Trey, why are we looking in the Hebrew? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The original language was in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Now, sometimes the Hebrew words and the Greek words say a whole lot more than what the English translation says. It doesn't say anything different. It just paints more, gets more paint on the canvas. Does that make sense to you? So I want to look at the Hebrew word for feast. It is ma'ed. Everybody say ma'ed. Ma'ed. If you want to write that down, it's M-O-E-D. Ma'ed. And the word feast means this, appointed time, a solemn assembly, a signal. Appointed time, a solemn assembly, a signal. For anyone that's been watching Dana Coverstone's prophecies, the word a solemn assembly may have triggered a memory uh, of one of his prophecies. I won't address that today, but this is what feast means. Appointed time, a solemn assembly, a signal. Let's talk about convocation because when we add these two words together, it tells us exactly what the feast of the Lord are. Convocation is the Hebrew word mikrah. 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 Very good. Mikrah. And it means a rehearsal. A rehearsal. So here's what the feast of the Lord are. It's kind of like a dress rehearsal for an appointed time. Okay? Now the Jews, when they observe these, they're looking back. They're looking back, at, and you'll see as I talk about the seven feasts, I'm just going to gloss over them really quickly. You'll see how they celebrate them looking back. But for those of us who believe that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, we're not looking back any longer. We're looking forward at an appointed time. And when we look at feasts or talk about feasts, it's a dress rehearsal. Can I get a good amen? Yes. All right. So the feasts were given to us as dress rehearsals of what's to come. Let's go over them really quickly. All right. The first feast, there's seven that I want to share with you. The first feast is Passover. Passover. Anyone heard of the feast Passover before? Passover. The meaning is the feast of salvation the Feast of Salvation. And on this day, a male lamb without blemish was sacrificed. That's what the Jews would do to honor this feast. You remember the story in Exodus, right? When they put blood on the doorpost, that was Passover. They were hoping that the angel of death would pass over. We understand that Passover was fulfilled for followers in Jesus on Calvary. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he was a male without blemish. Passover, Jesus fulfilled with his death. Oh, and get this, on the exact date that Passover was for the Jews. 
Let's let that sink in for just a moment. On the exact date that for generations the Jews had been celebrating this Passover feast, hundreds of years before Jesus died, then Jesus shows up on the scene. Do you think that he actually coordinated with the Roman Empire and said, hey, do you think I could be crucified on such and such date? Because I really want this prophecy to look like I'm fulfilling this feast. The date of his crucifixion was beyond his control, yet on the exact date of the feast, he was slain. All right, number two, the second feast. This is a fun one. Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. Some of you know what unleavened bread is because this quarantine, you could not find any yeast. God told the Jews to eat only the pure unleavened bread during the week following Passover. So the Jews, historically, they would have Passover. It was a celebration, one-day celebration. Then for the next week, they would eat only unleavened bread, meaning there was no leaven in the bread. Now, leaven in the Bible symbolizes sin. Everybody say sin. When you read leaven in the Bible, you, don't even, you may not even know what leaven is, just know it represents sin. So in this feast or on this feast, eating unleavened bread over a period of time symbolized a holy walk with God. For the Jews, that's what it symbolized, a holy walk with God. Now, Jesus, specifically his body is our unleavened bread. He is the bread of life. He is the one without sin. He is our unleavened Bread, And would you know that he was buried at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? That's right. The burial of Jesus accomplished the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Are you following me, church? All right. Number three, the next feast is the Feast of First Fruits. Now, this feast was after Unleavened Bread started. Um, The Bible says that it would be on the morrow of the Sabbath, meaning... When unleavened bread started, somewhere in that seven days of unleavened bread, there was going to be a morrow of the Sabbath, meaning the day after the Sabbath. What is the day after the Sabbath? If Sabbath is a Saturday, what's the morrow after the Sabbath? Sunday. So on the Sunday following the start of unleavened bread was the first fruits. Today we call that day Easter. I won't go into why we call it Easter, but more properly we could call it first fruits as a celebration of God replanting the earth in the spring, which is actually exactly what Jesus came to accomplish, to replant a seed of salvation in a corrupt world. And and did you know that Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, what we call Easter, you know that thing, the little hoppity, 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 and the, the new clothes and the family pictures where everyone looks happy and smiling, and we all know what it took to get those smiles. We know. That day, Easter, first fruits happened on the exact day of the Jewish feast of first fruits, not the day before. Not the day after, the exact day of first fruits. All right, number four is Pentecost. This festival, we we know it as Pentecost. The Bible has a few names for it. It's called the Feast of Harvest. It's called the Feast of Weeks. 
In Leviticus 23, it tells us that this feast is supposed to be seven weeks plus one day after the previous feast. So seven weeks is 49 days plus one day is what? 50 days. Did you know that Pentecost means 50? Bet you didn't know that. So 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, then we have Pentecost. This is the Feast of Harvest, Feast of Weeks. And it actually, for the Jews, it marked the summer harvest. Now, these crops were brought in and it was a little more than the first fruits, but it wasn't quite, or it wasn't near as close to the great harvest of the fall, okay? It's still not as many as, as the forthcoming harvest. And in this feast, they had to create two loaves of bread, What's the word say? I think it calls them wave loaves. Wave loaves of bread, which means equal. Completely equal in weight and size. And they're made with leaven. So they're not unleavened. They're leaven bread. So on, on the Feast of Harvest, Feast of Weeks, um, leaven is involved in, in this. And since leaven is involved, what did we learn earlier? What does leaven mean? Sin. Since leaven is involved, it represents sin. So these two loaves represent two sinful men being offered to God, okay? God is foretelling of two sinful groups, Gentile and Jew, that are redeemed by the blood of Jesus in this feast on Pentecost. Now, after Jesus resurrected, he came down, he or came up from the grave, and he spent 40 days with the disciples teaching them. Right. And then he said, okay, I'm leaving, but I need you to tarry here a little longer. I need you to wait in Jerusalem until Pentecost had fully come. And we know that that happened because Acts 2, all of a sudden, Acts 2 verse 1 says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were in the upper room in one accord. And what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking in tongues. And the Bible tells us there's a great harvest of 3,000 people that day. So on the day of Pentecost, on the exact day, we find its fulfillment in the New Testament when the believers got the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Is this making sense? All right. So these are the spring holidays all of those we have found fulfillment in the New Testament. Here's where it gets fun, okay? This is really what my sermon is about, but I had to lay the groundwork for, for this with all of that. Um, there are three events in Scripture that have not yet happened. There are three events in Scripture that have not yet been fulfilled by the Jewish feast. Does that make sense? So we have three more feasts, and there are three things that have not happened that we know will be happening. Number one is the rapture. The rapture of the church is when uh, those who have their faith in Jesus Christ, they change from mortal to immortal. And in an instant, their body is transformed into a glorified body. Jesus will call us home. We will leave this place and the world will be left wondering, where did these millions of people go? Now, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ today, you, you're in good company because all of us will be going in the rapture. That's all it takes. It's not faith plus works. It's not faith plus evangelism. It's not faith plus serving, faith plus tithing. Are you with me? It's faith in Jesus. Now, when the Bible references there's a great deception and a lot of people won't actually be going, he's not talking about true believers will be deceived and won't be going. 
If you have your faith in Jesus, you're going. I, I want to set the record straight today. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The great deception are about people who have created God in their image rather than allowing God to create them in his. And we see religion all, religions all across the world who claim to follow God, yet they don't. So the rapture is one event. I wonder if the rapture will line up with one of the three remaining feasts. Another event is the, what's known as the second coming of Jesus, separate from the rapture of the church. This is better known as the Battle of Armageddon, uh, when Jesus comes down and he rules with the rod of iron and the nations who rejected him prior will suddenly be forced and every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus is, is Lord. It's not because they've had an aha moment. It's because he's no longer the lamb, he's the lion. So that, that's just the second one. I bet that aligns with a feast that's going to happen. And then the third one is the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ. That's the third big event that Scripture talks about that's not yet happened. I bet that aligns. So let's, let's talk through the three remaining feasts real quick. The fifth one is the Feast of Trumpets. This feast, I believe, in my opinion, will correlate with the rapture of the church. This is why I actually believe that the rapture of the church will be in the fall, in, specifically in September. I'm not saying this year. I don't know what year. I just think it will be around the time of the Feast of Trumpets because there's so much convergence on this feast with what the Lord says it's going to look like when he returns. And that's what I want to talk to you about in the remainder of my message, but I still want to describe the other feast to you. Um, by the way, I just want to reiterate, I did not say that Jesus is coming back this month, okay? <laughs> but if he did, you should know that I'm ready. If he does, you should know that aliens didn't take me. If he does, you should know that I didn't get COVID for a second time in my house, and they decided to incinerate us. You should know this. If I'm missing... It is because Jesus has called me home. And in the twinkle of an eye, my body has been changed. And I have found my reward, and he has found his inheritance in me. I'll talk more about Feast of Trumpets in a moment, but let me mention the final two feasts so that you have the big picture, okay? Again, I, I, hope, you're getting, I hope you're getting this. I hope this is okay. If I'm... If I'm miscommunicating something, just ho holler at me, okay? You're good little Bible students. You can yell at me to, for clarification if you need to. The, the next one is atonement. Atonement. That's the next feast. And on the fearsome day of atonement, the Jews literally either lived or died. This was a day of confession. When they celebrate this feast, even to this day, they will intentionally create labor among themselves. They will... They will uh, cause themselves to be in pain to prove just how sorry they are for all of their, their sin. It was also on this day when the high priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. So once a year, the high priest, when there was a temple, he would, you know, there's an outer court where the sacrifice is made. There's an inner court. There's a Holy of Holies 
where the presence of God was and only the high priest could enter. And on this day of atonement, he would enter and make atonement for his sin and make atonement for everyone else's, everyone else's sin. So atonement is a pretty big deal. Uh, this was the one feast that is not able to be fulfilled by the Gentile church. Well, you and I are Gentiles, unless you're a Jew. It is impossible for you and I to fulfill the Feast of Atonement because we don't need atonement. It's already been taken care of, yes. right? So we know in the chronology, chrono something, chrono, chronology of Scripture that it's going to be fulfilled by the Jewish community or the world at large, but not the believer, okay? Uh, the church is saved by faith, and the Jews will be saved by sight, the seventh and final one that I'm talking about is Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a feast celebrated that God provided shelter for the Israelites in the wilderness. So they're, again, looking back. The first six feasts are feasts of works. This is a feast of rest. We believe, I believe, uh, that this lines up perfectly with the thousand-year millennial reign, that it will begin on this feast. I don't know what year. I don't know if it's seven years from now or 70 years or 700 years from now. I don't know when, but I believe it will begin on the Feast of Tabernacles, um, eventually leading to the new Jerusalem being set up on earth where you and I get to enjoy heaven and eternity forevermore. Okay. L look back at these feasts real quick. We've got Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Feast of Harvest, Feast of Weeks, Trumpets, atonement, tabernacle. I hope you've written them all down. I want you to see a pattern here. Do you see the up-down pattern that exists? Up, down, up, down. First one, Passover. Jesus went up on the cross. Unleavened bread, he went down in the grave. First fruits, he came up from the grave. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. Mm -hmm. Trumpets, which I think is the rapture. The church goes up. Atonement, Christ comes down. And tabernacle, Christ sets up his eternal shelter. See that pattern? Up, down, almost like a heartbeat. So let's talk about Feast of Trumpets. I want to dig into this. I'm going to move quicker because I've still got two pages of notes and I need you to get this, okay? This is the meat of, otherwise you're going to leave here with no purpose. All right. Um, the Feast of Trumpets is the most bizarre feast of all seven feasts. It's the most unexplained feast. It's almost like it's a mystery. This feast makes absolutely no sense. It's like, hey, come blow your trumpets and then go home. That's what the feast is all about. God, God seems to love the trumpet, though. Remember Isaac's life being spared by the ram getting caught in the thicket? by its horn, its trumpet, or in biblical terms, the ram's horn. Remember, Isaac was being taken up on the mountain, right? Because he was going to be the sacrifice. The trumpet saved him. The ram's horn saved him. God also enjoys hearing trumpets blow, by the way. Do we have any trumpet players besides Mr. Dinan? Any trumpet players? Da not David. Josh Dinan plays trumpet. Anyone else play trumpet? That is, I believe, God's favorite instrument. He used them when Joshua conquered Jericho. He also declared that they be used the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. Having trumpets 
And the word says, proclaim liberty throughout all the land until unto all the inhabitants thereof. So on Jubilee, they were going to say that phrase. Did you know that phrase to this day is written on the Liberty Bell of the grand old United States of America? Trumpets. Hmm. Let's go to Leviticus 23, 23 through 24, where it talks about this feast. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing the trumpets, underline trumpets there, a holy convocation, a holy dress rehearsal. Now, Feast of Trumpets for 2020 is in just a couple of weeks. September, well, there's some debate on this. If you look at what scripture says, it would be the evening of the 18th to the evening of the 19th. However, if you Google the Jewish calendar, it's gonna tell you the evening of the 19th to the evening of the 20th. So it's safe to say uh, that people around the world will be celebrating this festival the evening from the 18th to the evening of the 20th. It's coming up very soon. But why blow trumpets? That's my question. What's the point? And, and why trumpets? Why more than one? Why not just one bugle boy? Well, to find that answer, I had to go to Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. So you shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for, underline this, calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the trumpets, more than one, two precisely, the trumpets are used for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. In other words, trumpets say, let's go, let's move, let's gather. I don't know if you're seeing a parallel start to form before our very eyes today, but the trumpet was a signal for the field workers to leave the harvest and come into the temple. Now we understand why what the trumpets are all about, but I want to dig a little bit deeper. Why silver and why two trumpets? Why silver? Why two? Silver, I don't know. I just kind of Googled the properties of silver. It's a precious metal. It has a brilliant white color. It exhibits the highest electrical thermal conductivity and reflectivity of any other metal. In other words, it reflects a certain image and it transfers power. Okay? So why silver? That's potentially why. Now the question, why two? Why two trumpets? And, and to figure this out, we have to go to Matthew 24, where Jesus is talking about the end times. And he's, he's looking at world events unfold and things look cataclysmic and it looks pretty dismal. But right in the middle of that, right in the middle of talking about world events and global catastrophes, he stops. And in Matthew 24, 32 through 33, he says this, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all things, know that it is near at the doors. Okay, look at verse 32. Learn this parable from the fig tree. It's a parable. Do you know what a parable is? A parable is a story. He's not talking about the fig tree. He's not telling you about a tree. He's talking about what the tree represents. 
That's what a parable is. If he's telling you what the fig tree represents, we have to determine what that is. So then I'll take us to Joel chapter one, six through seven. It says, for a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. What is the fig tree? Israel. So Israel is God's fig tree. Hosea 9.10 says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits of the fig tree in its first season. So in Ezekiel 36, when Ezekiel talks about the rebirth of Israel, we also know that Jesus then talks about the rebirth of Israel. So now comes two trumpets. What's the point of two trumpets? Here's the clincher. According to Isaiah 43.10, Israel is God's witness. So Israel is a witness to God. What does a witness do? It stands on the stand, says, I promise to tell the truth. I will not lie. So help me God. And it recounts the story and it verifies that what's being said is true. It tells us in Isaiah 43, 10, Israel is the witness of God. And Jesus says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord to the people of Israel. They are his witnesses. Now, when this makes so much sense because when Queen Victoria asked her, her most trusted advisor, she said, in one, in one phrase, give me one reason how you know God is real. And that trusted advisor said, I can do better than that. I can tell you how I know God is real with just one word. And he replied, Israel. You see, if Israel is still alive, if Israel is still flourishing after all of these nations that want to come against Israel, you you understand Israel is the size of New Jersey, yet it is the center of our news. Israel just still standing is proof that still God exists or that God exists. It is a witness to God. That's why the enemy wants to destroy Israel, by the way. His enemy always wants to destroy the evidence and kill the witness. So that's one trumpet. What's the second trumpet? The church was born in the book of Acts. <laughs> Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Israel is God's witness The church is God's witness. Whoever wants to destroy Israel, by the way, is typically anti-Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 52. And I promise I'm trying to land the plane ever so delicately. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery. Wait, wasn't there a feast that's kind of mysterious? Oh yeah, the trumpets, yeah. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. The last trump. Now, they're not talking about the last Donald Trump. (laughs) Although, wouldn't that just be like God? (laughs) 
Remind me that somebody take a note. I need to do a sermon on repetitive prophetic fulfillment. How one prophecy goes out and it gets fulfilled multiple times in scripture. And it's just, it's amazing actually how that happens. But anyway, nonetheless, at the last trump, the Jew would know what scripture was talking about. Because the last trump for the Feast of Trumpets, they would blow the trumpet a hundred times and the last trumpet blow would be a very long trumpet blow and it was known as the last trump. So, so it kind of indicates somehow that this change that's going to be taking place is somehow tied with the last trump, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And I believe for the first time since 1948 when Israel was born, that today God is using both Israel and the church together as the trumpets that are telling people, get ready. Something's coming. Someone's coming. It's almost time to come in from the harvest fields. Somebody is coming. Get ready. At the last trumpet, at the last trumpet sound church, we're out of here. So the rapture is related to the Feast of Trumpets. I'm not referring to a specific day, but a, a series of trumpet blasts, series of trumpet sounds. And we can see that the earth right now is groaning for the sons and daughters to be revealed. What does that mean? That means when the church is glorified and changes from mortal to immortal in a twinkling of an eye, all of heaven is crying out to the creator, please let the glorification come. Let true sons and daughters be revealed. That's right, you may have just caused the last hurricane because the world is asking the creator to let this happen soon. So what is our purpose? What does this say about our purpose? After all, that was my title. It has nothing to do with the gift that we share with the world. Our purpose has nothing to do with the career that we pursue, a family that we build, a, a location that we move to, a, a gift that we have or a talent that we have. That, that is not purpose. That's passion. And you need it, and you should keep it and keep fanning that flame, but that's not purpose. Our purpose is to be a witness. Yeah. Colossians 1, verse 16 only. I'm going to read verse 16. It says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. My point today is we were created for a purpose, not a position or a location. Your purpose is bound up in this fact that you said yes to Jesus. Your purpose is wrapped up in this fact that he ain't going to ever let you go. This, this thing is like your purpose is, is totally consumed with the fact that you're going in the rapture whether you want to or not. Well, I suppose you can opt out. Whether you're scared or not, if, if Jesus, whether you believe there's a rapture or not, whether you believe it's 100 years from now or not, when that rapture happens, if your faith is in him, you're gone. 
That is our purpose. In fact, I believe that we are the generation that will see the return of Jesus Christ. I, I should not say this right now because I can't unpack it and it's too controversial. But I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I don't actually believe in a great revi- third revival. I don't think it's biblical. The Joel 2 outpouring on all flesh... I actually think the greatest contribution that you and I have to the kingdom will be our participation in a rapture. And then the 144,000 Jews, 10 days later, get filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And five days after that, the Bible says, Gentile believers who have come to Christ since the rapture get filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe the greatest revival this planet has ever seen will be during the time of tribulation. I believe it. That's how so many, the tribulation will create such a great harvest. This is God's last call to get people to say yes to him because people will be wounded. They will be broken. They will be hurting. And the solution will be the greatest revival planet earth has ever seen. And these people are going to walk around and just like it happened with Peter, their shadows are going to heal people. So anyway, maybe that's another sermon. Colossians chapter three, again, Never mind. Please stand. I got to wrap this up. I could preach another hour. <laughs> Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do. So some of you, you thought we we're going to talk about purpose and you got all excited. Maybe pastor will tell me if I should take that job. Maybe pastor should tell me, will tell me if I should go to that school or apply at that school. Listen, my, my purpose lesson to you is whatever you do, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Your purpose is, is to be a witness and wherever those little happy feet take you, trust that the footsteps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. Stop stressing over the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Do it. You want to go to that school? Go. You want to do that new career? Go. You want to buy that business? Do it. Pray about it. But do it. There is almost no decision you can make that's not irreversible with time. So if you feel the Lord telling you to do it, just do it. Whatever covers a lot of territory, whether you want to become a teacher, a plumber, an architect, a pastor, whew, an entertainer, whatever. Go for it. Go for it. Your highest purpose is to be a witness of God. In any career you choose, any location you wind up in, you can and should and will be a witness for God. Right? But listen, what, whatever also takes some stuff off the table. Whatever feels broad, but it's also narrow. Whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord. There are some things you can't do in the name of the Lord. You can't get drunk in the name of the Lord. You can't. Scripture is very clear about that. You can't gossip in the name of the Lord. You can't slander in the name of the Lord. You can't have a critical spirit in the name of the Lord. I'm just saying, it's incompatible. So many things incompatible. You can't be racist in the name of the Lord. I'm just, I got to pray. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm done. Father, I just, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. God, that you're, th- there's just so much information on your face that just speak so much to my heart. 
God, what you've been showing me as of late and revealing to me, I'm just, oh God, I'm bursting with excitement. Just knowing that you're doing a new thing. When the enemy would love for a pandemic to cause tension and restraint and make people feel suffocated, God, you're unleashing a new thing on your people. God, I thank you for that. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, listen, if you want to grow more or if if you just accepted Jesus throughout today's service through worship or the sermon, you just felt that draw and you're like, I need to know Jesus more, please text NEXT to 512-980-1220. Also, don't forget, next week is our 10-year anniversary. Arrive early. We're going to have donuts, coffee, maybe corn. Who knows? 1030, invite a friend. I love you guys so much. Have a great week.